Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Go check out the new manifesto on lifestyle design, authored by yours truly, Buy Your Own Island, now available on Amazon. It's been called inspiring and empowering and one of the best new books on entrepreneurship. Lifestyle design for 2015 and beyond. Look for it on Amazon or go download the audiobook for free at buyyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book. Hey, Jordan Harbinger, just wanted to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So a bit about Jordan here. He's the co-founder of The Art of Charm. That's at theartofcharm.com, where uh, Jordan teaches the modern man how to use social dynamics to achieve greater success in both business and in life. He's also the co-host of The Art of Charm podcast, a top 100 iTunes podcast with over 1 million downloads per month. He's truly a location-independent entrepreneur and uh, living the lifestyle, so I'm excited to have him on the show. So, Jordan, maybe you can just expand on that uh, standard bio I just gave and tell me and the audience a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So I used to be an attorney. I decided that was terrible, found out that people skills were key, and decided to focus the rest of my learning on that, which has, you know, paid out quite well uh, in the form of some really good knowledge and experience as far as what makes people tick, which is now what's taught at the Art of Charm Live programs here in Los Angeles. I think it's fantastic what you guys are doing because everyone can benefit from some of the things you teach, like the power of being authentic, uh, your tolerance for risk, and your ability to put a positive spin on anything that happens. Yeah, I mean, it's that plus persuasion, plus the ability to create, maintain relationships for business or personal reasons. I mean, the highest leverage point you can ever have in business is who you're connected to. And so the more you focus on that, the more success you'll you'll reap. You know, you can't neglect other areas, of course, but by and large, the most successful people that I know are the, are the most networked. And people think that it's because they're successful that they develop these large networks, but it's actually the other way around most of the time. So how do we cultivate more of this uh, charm factor in our lives? Well, it kind of depends on what you mean by charm factor, right? So Okay, so how, how do we, how do we uh, develop this, this personality factor, this ability to connect with people? Right, so I mean... Essentially, that's what we do at our programs, and I'm not saying you have to come to a program to learn how to do this, but what I mean is uh, it's really tailored. So a lot of people think like, oh, what do I say to people when I go to this networking event, or like, what do I do? And frankly, it's more of a subtractive process than an additive one. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's it's about becoming authentic. It's about taking off the filter, and I don't mean being impolite or whatever, but I mean censoring your personality. Things like that are bad for connection because... You put on a social mask whenever you try to impress people or get people to think of you in a certain way. And when you have that mask on, it makes it harder for people to relate to you. And when people can't relate to you, they can't connect to you because they feel like they don't really know you. And when they feel like they don't really know you, 
that drives a wedge between you trying to connect and relate to them. And relationships are sort of built. You ever notice this here? If, you, if this is confusing, think about it like this. You ever like hang out with somebody and you're like, oh, you're being like polite and cool. And like, you want everybody to laugh at your jokes and you want everybody to be well liked. And then there's one person who's just kind of like, like burps and is like, oh, sorry about that. And then it breaks the tension or there's somebody who's funny and you're like really kind of maybe a little self-effacing and you're like, I like this guy because he's breaking the tension. He's making other people feel good about it. It goes a lot further than the person who's trying to mind their P's and Q's all the time. And that's why whenever you go out on a date with a girl that you're really connected with, it's so much better than going out on a date with somebody who's like just good looking and you're saying all the right things and you're doing all the right things. And she's, you know, it seems like it's going well. It's like the person where you can just be vulnerable, tell a story and have it be like, yeah, totally. That's a good date versus when nothing goes wrong. Right. (laughs) That's, there's a huge difference between those two types of dates. Like, platitudes and pleasantries versus really connecting with somebody is a huge difference. And most people focus on one and not the other. And it's, it's because it's a difficult skill set to learn because it involves your, your involves your insecurities. And most people never really get to the point where they attack those. Yeah, that's really interesting. I can speak from my own experience. Uh, you mentioned the social mask. I think of this kind of internal struggle, this internal hurdle. Uh, whenever I, if I meet a girl that I'm not that interested in, like I can just relax and I can be myself around her. But if it's someone that like, uh, you know, she's, I feel like she's out of my league a little bit. I feel, yep. I feel this enormous pressure and then, you know, it, it, it alters my, my normal personality. And it's not just women. It's also if I'm, if I'm talking with a successful person, like a CEO or something. So what, what, where does that come from, Jordan? What is it that we're afraid of? Where does that, that feeling come from and how do we deal with it? How do we it comes from our desire to be liked by people that we, have we find have a higher status than us so for example do you have do you have brothers and sisters uh yes i do are they younger or older uh i have one younger brother and uh two older sisters okay so this is perfect so your younger brother how much younger is he than you um seven years okay so when you were growing up if one of his friends came over and was like you know danny you're you're a dork you'd be like who cares what you think? You're like, you're a kid. You're my little brother's friend. Like your opinion completely doesn't matter. Right. And if he was hanging out with girls and you showed up to like pick him up or something, the girls are probably like, Oh, Danny's cute. We want to hang out with your brother. You know, you probably got a bunch of that growing up seeing girls in your brother's class, right? Cause you're higher status than them. You didn't care what his friends thought cause they're lower status than you. But if you were hanging around your sisters and they brought a cute girl around, what happened? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, suddenly I would, I would take notice, you know, right. You'd stand up, your chest would be up and you'd be like, what's up, Angela, what's going on? <laughs> and then, you know, your little brother would run around and be like, Danny and throw a spitball at you and be like, what are you doing? Jerk? What a loser. <laughs> right. Cause you're trying to get her to like you. You act totally different in those two situations. Yeah. So if you can take the mask off and you can treat the people of higher status, like equal status, not lower status. That's something that those like pickup artist guys try to do that. They're like, oh, treat her like your kid's sister, your bratty kid's sister's friend. And it's like, <laughs> eh, no, not if you're going to put people on a lower status thing, because that's only going to work for certain people. If you can put them at equal status, you find that you relate to people more naturally. And that's great because there's nothing that's weirder. When I go to a lot of networking events or something like that, or I'll speak a lot, 
on stage. And if someone comes up and is like, Hey man, that was really good. I appreciate, you know, you sharing that. That's cool. I checked out your show. It's, it's, it's decent. You want to grab some lunch? I'll be like, cool. But if someone comes up and it's like, can we take a selfie? I'll be like, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. And they might be like, your show is awesome. And also, you know, it was really cool to meet you. I like that. It's great, but I don't want to be around that for like the next hour and a half. It gets, it's, it, it requires too much energy from me to sort of manage them. You know, it's just value taking and they're not really contributing anything to you at yeah, all or thinking about and it's, you. And it's hard to do because people are right now, they're like, oh, you jerk. You don't like the people who like your show. It's not true at all. I love that. But I can't, I can't be who they expect me to be. Mm-hmm. I can only be myself. Every time I try to be, if I have to be what people expect me to be to make them, to make them happy, that's, that requires a lot of energy and it's exhausting. And so I'd rather be somebody who's just going to be on equal footing. You right, have to, and, you have to be and, selective with your time, right? Right, and it, and it, but well, not not really that though. But just I just want to. I'm talking just about the investment of energy required for me. So let's say then you're hanging around with somebody who's got a hundred million dollars in a jet. You don't want to be like, dude, this is awesome. Oh my god, you're so rich and it's awesome. It must be great to be this famous guy. They they have to be that person for you, and it's exhausting. But if you're like man, this is fat. Did you design this yourself? And they're like, yeah, actually, I picked out a lot of the interiors of this jet. Do you like it? Yeah, it's awesome. I could take a crazy nap up here, you know, while flying across the country for a gig. And they're like, yo, you know, this couch has seen a ton of naps, right? Now we're talking and hanging out. I'm not talking about how awesome they are. They don't have to be anything. And that's a huge differentiator because that that's the difference between, yeah, let's hang out with Jordan versus, oh, not that guy who wouldn't shut up about my plane's couch. You know, there's, there's a huge difference between that. And it might be really subtle if you're not used to networking or talking with people who are of different levels of performance and status or, or dealing with performers or anything like that, or dealing with wealthy people, well-connected people. Like those are skills that I learned over time because yeah, of course, the first thing that you do when you meet somebody who you've, you know, liked for a long time is you're like, Oh, this is awesome. Your stuff is so great. Oh my God, it's amazing. You know, and you try not to do that, but then you end up acting weird because you feel like doing that, but you can't get over the fact that maybe you're not worth their time or that they're thinking that they're bored while you're around. I get that too. People <laughs> are like, they'll talk for a while and then they're like, oh, you must be bored. You know, I'm, I'm boring you. I get that. And I'm like, dude, now you're just it's like, this is so awkward, you know, and, and yeah. I don't like that. I don't want people to feel that way. It makes me feel bad that they feel that way. And then nobody wants to be around somebody that, that makes them feel bad, even if it's for a reason like that. Okay, so, you so, so the lesson here is if you approach someone who's high status, someone who's successful, or even just a really hot chick, you've got to approach them on the same level. You've got to show that you're on the same level as them. Yes, yes. And, 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 you, and the thing is, you show it by not showing it. And this is uh, tricky, but I want to highlight this, because what a lot of people try to do, again, especially weirdo, like, pickup artist guys, they're try, they try to do this thing where they're like, I'm on the same level as you. So I'm going to like tease you a little bit and I'm going to like make sure that you really notice that we're on the same level and that I'm really comfortable around you. And it's like, ah, now you're trying really hard to make it seem like you're not nervous. So you're the fact that your anxiety is showing you like your anxiety is just radiating at that point. And so there's something you see in your, in your boot camps, Jordan. I see it in the boot camps, but I see it especially when I'm speaking and somebody comes up to say something like, oh, you're from, I literally witnessed this this past week. I was in Florida. I was at a speaking engagement. I went and socialized with a ton of people, was chit-chatting with a ton of people. 
And then I went to the VIP dinner and I was sitting down, I was chatting with people and there were half the people at the VIP dinner, less than half, they had paid to be there. And then the other half were like VIP people or whatever you want to call it that were invited. And so I was invited and I was chatting with some people who had paid to be there. You don't know who's who necessarily. And I was just chatting and hanging out and it was all fine and good. And then somebody came up who was running the event was like, Hey, Jordan, I need you over here for a second. I want you to meet some people. And then I was chatting with them and I came back and then I saw the same people I was chatting with in the beginning. And it was like, oh man, you know, we didn't realize that you were a speaker here at this event. We didn't realize that you got invited to this. And they started acting totally different. So it took our normal, fun conversation and turned it into this really weird kind of approve. Like they didn't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Meanwhile, they, they weren't doing that until they thought, oh, I've got to make sure this person is impressed by this or doesn't think we're weird or likes me or whatever it is, whatever agenda they had. And I start to feel that. And, and this happens no matter what. It's not just me. Other people start to feel that. They start to feel like you're supposed to be what the other people are expecting from you. And I know that might be a little woo-woo, but it's kind of like guys do this when they date too. Like they'll date a pretty girl. And then as soon as the pretty girl becomes an accessible, normal girl and stops being like this untouchable beauty queen, the guy loses it and actually gets angry with her for not being this weird ideal that he built in his head and their relationship falls apart. Wow, that's, that's powerful stuff. Does, so, does that make sense? I know this can be kind of confusing, no, especially it, if you layer it on. It points. makes perfect sense. I noticed when, um, when I started teaching uh, like workshops and stuff based on my former business, and I'd go to colleges and I'd, I'd speak in front of colleges uh, before I gave the, the talk, you know, every, nobody paid any attention to me. I'm just like a, they treat me like I'm a student. But after I, I give the lecture, um, then suddenly everyone's trying to come up with me, you know, they come up to me, they want to ask these questions. And, and you know, I, I suddenly have this, this status, this, this kind of false status that wasn't there before. And I'm, I'm wondering, Jordan, where does this whole, this whole status, this whole social hierarchy come from? Is it something based on social conditioning or is it something that's developed as part of our our natural human evolution, where would you say it comes from? Yeah, it's, it's part of natural human evolution. And the thing is, it's a blend, right? Because it's, it's human evolution, but human evolution doesn't consider like money, right? Like you don't think, oh, this person is wealthy, therefore I need to treat them differently. That's not evolutionary psychology. It's what the money signifies, right? This person has higher status. Like if you just ran into Mark Cuban on the, uh, at, at a Subway sandwich shop, you know, you wouldn't be like, whoa, this guy is very, you know, powerful human being, but you might notice something about him because he's a commanding guy he's a commanding presence, which I bet you he didn't always have. Uh, and you know, you would be chatting with him and, and, or maybe not, or you'd notice something about him, but you'd probably treat him like a normal guy. But then you find out it's Mark Cuban or Richard Branson or whoever, and you're like, oh, man, and then you start to totally change your behavior, right? And that's because of what the money signifies. If those guys had, if those guys made 80 grand a year, you would not care. You wouldn't care. There would be no difference in the way that you treated them. So th that sort of social status, the way people dress, their body language, the things that they subcommunicate can communicate status. But you can also have status for other reasons. If someone walks in and they're six foot six and they're jacked, like they're like 340 pounds, you're like, whoa, this person has status. It doesn't matter if they're an iron worker or, or they're an unemployed iron worker, not to put down iron workers or something. I'm just trying to look for an example of a blue collar job. 
let's say they're an unemployed iron worker, you're not going to be like, what a chump, man. That guy doesn't have any money. You're going to be like, dude, this guy could just do like, it's like Hulk smash any second, right? Could totally do that. You respect that at some level. That's your evolutionary psychology. But what's triggering that the physical presence and what it signifies, the power it signifies speaks to you at an emotional, very like lizard brain level. Um, and whereas money doesn't money, passes through a filter in your brain somewhere. I'm not a brain scientist or a neuroscientist, but money and the knowledge of that person having money or being famous or whatever passes through some logical filter in your brain and then signifies status there later. So some of it's social conditioning and some of it's not. Like if I talk to, if I go to China and I'm like, and people are like, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a talk show host. They might be like, oh, that's dumb. I don't care about that. But if I go to New York, to a podcasting convention and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I have one of the largest shows on iTunes. They'd be like, oh my God, that's awesome. You know, you should give a speech and not pay for the ticket and, you know, stay at this place on our dime and teach people and teach a class. Like there's those, that status is contextual, right? Situational. So that is part of social construct. Everything is constructed in that way, but some social status is evolutionary, but all of it is a blend of kind of both, Right. Because I'm sure there's a culture somewhere, uh, whether now or in ancient times, and I can't think of one, but I'm, I'm sure that there is. There's definitely a culture where, like, the scholar is revered over the warrior. But here's another sort of note is that in almost every culture, ancient and modern, there is a highly regarded place for athletes and warriors. Like, look at ancient Greece, right? They revered the scholar, the athlete, and the warrior. So not to get into, like, weird ethos stuff, but there's a reason for that, and part of it is evolutionary, because that's around the time, slash way later, but that's around the time of recorded history when they started realizing that, oh, somebody who has ideas can be just as dangerous and powerful as somebody who can, like, kill somebody else with a javelin. Does this make sense? <laughs> Are you following me at all, or am I just rambling here? No, it's, it's good stuff. This is great. Um, continue. Or, or actually, let me ask you a question. So... Um, you mentioned you mentioned meeting Mark Cuban, and you said that uh, he, he probably has a, a commanding presence when you see him, but he didn't always have that. Uh, let me ask you: so, how can the average person um, kind of cultivate this this sense of inner confidence or this commanding presence without, even if they don't have stacks of money, even if they don't have status, or uh, you know they're not iron workers juicing up their muscles? Um, how, how can you just kind of cultivate that that inner? Um, I guess self-confidence that kind of gives off that aura. You know, um, that's a, that's a great question. A lot of people come to our programs for that. Of course, a lot of people take what we teach on the show and do that, but I'll give you a simple sort of drill that you can do. I, you know, the art of charm is highly, highly practical. So this is like what we specialize in. So, um, I would say this, you know, a lot of times people think that their first impression is made when they open their mouth and what they say sort of dictates what people think. And they're like, that's my first impression. And it's, it's really not the case. Your first impression is when you become a blip on other people's radar. And so what that means uh, is, of course, that you at some point are going to become, you're going to be noticed by others. And that's your first impression. So like in a dating context, what this would look like is you're, you're walking around at a bar looking to meet somebody and they notice you. That's your first impression. However, where most guys and, and most girls for that matter sort of 
make a mistake is they think it happens when they open their mouth. So you see this at the bar where the guy goes up and is like, Hey, what's going on? Or like some clever pickup line. And it's like, that's not your first impression. You think it is. Cause that's the first impression you're consciously trying to make. But your first impression happened 20 minutes ago when you were like hiding behind your friends, peeking at her from across the room, <laughs> pretending you didn't notice her acting like a hard ass around your buddies, slamming three shots of Jack. Like that was your first impression. And if you know this before, you know, if you know this going in, you change your behavior a lot because you realize you're always in the, in the spotlight. And so that becomes difficult to ma- to manage and maintain because think about this, right? Like if you become a blip on, if when you become a blip on other people's radars, when you make your first impression, then you can't, that means by definition, since most people see you before they hear you and you can't talk to everybody that sees you before they see you, and generally you can never do that fact, um, that means that your first impression is made almost exclusively through nonverbal communication. And most people never bother to manage or improve their nonverbal communication. Most people just like kind of go along with whatever. And the problem is that your nonverbal communication, the way you sit, stand, walk, talk, all that stuff, that mirrors your internal state because your body has a really tough time lying. It really does mirror your internal state. So what happens is somebody who's not confident walks into a bar to keep it in the dating context. They're slouched over, they're hunched over. They're not really, you know, doing a whole lot with their, their, their body. They don't look like they're having a good time. That's their first impression. Six shots of Jack Daniels later, they walk over to the girls and they slur and they're, Hey, what's going on? What are you guys drinking? You guys look like fun. And the girls are like, you get the hell out of here. And the guy's like, ah, girls are hard, right? Um, but what he doesn't realize is his first impression was complete rubbish because his internal state just was not there. So, does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, so, so basically when you become a blip on someone's uh, uh, radar, your nonverbal communication, it all comes down to your internal, what's going on inside your, your mindset, uh, what you think about yourself and your own self-worth. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, 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 exactly. So like if you're down on yourself and you're thinking, I'm, you know, I'm a schmuck and you don't have to be consciously thinking this stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't need that. Cause I'm, I feel pretty good. Do you, do you feel really good when you're in a networking event and you don't know anyone and you're the broke guy there and everybody else is successful? Then how do you feel? Because that's what your body's going to communicate. It's not going to communicate what you imagine you will be feeling when you're on top of your game. You know, like guys are like, yeah, we pre-drank, we're going to the bar, we look and feel awesome. That's what guys think they're going to be like. But then they walk in there and they see the girls and they're like, oh man, what am I, no. And then they retreat to the corner and have beers, right? But you have to be able to cultivate good nonverbal communication as a habit. The best way to do that is, of course, by changing your mindset, which is tougher than, you know, than you think. Um, But also we know that the mind follows the body as well as the, the body following the mind. So what we can do is change our physiology and that will start to change our mindset. And so the way I suggest people do that, here's the drill, is every time you walk through a doorway, so first of all, stand up straight, shoulders back, chin up, smile on your face, chest up. Like not exaggerated because you'll look dumb um, and try hard, but if you just align yourself upright, good uh, nonverbal communication, now you know how this feels. Now, every time you walk through a doorway, straighten up and go back into that position. Chin up, chest out, shoulders back, smile on your face. This is good, positive, confident, approachable body language. And what's great about this is, and I don't mean any doorway like after you get to work. I mean, even in your own house, when you go to the bathroom, when you walk in your bedroom, everything, your front door. That way, every time you leave your house, 
you look like this. Every time you walk into a room, you look like this. And what's really good about that is it starts to become a habit and you no longer have to think about it. Then you don't have to go into a situation and go, oh, uh, now I feel weird. And so all my nonverbal communication goes to hell because now you're not, your bubble got popped by a girl who, you know, didn't notice you or your boss snubbed you or you realize that the networking event is full of people who dress in a suit and you're in jeans. So now you're like, oh no, and you shrink up into a little invisible ball. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see. Uh, you, so you mentioned, you mentioned one other thing in there um, where you said uh, the guy goes and approaches a girl and he gets shot down and he says, oh, girls suck. Um, I think he's, he's basically using that experience as a reference, as like a mirror into who he is also, right? And I know that you do something in your business where you, you do Small Victory Monday, uh, where you, you just kind of reflect and think of the things that you're doing right. Think of the, the small victories and appreciate them. Do you, do you find that that sculpts your mind to feel better about yourself, to improve like, your own you just, You're breaking up. You're breaking up big time. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, should, should I start again? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned this uh, experience where this guy uh, goes and approaches a girl and gets shot down, um, and he says, oh, girls suck, you know, or, or they don't like me. Uh, but you also do something in your business called Small Victory Monday, where uh, you, you go back and you think about what you're doing right. You appreciate your small victories. Do you find that these small victories help sculpt your mind to uh, be more confident and feel better about yourself? Yeah, they do. That's that's kind of the point is people really will focus on the negative and it's a very human thing to do. It's not like you need to be a positive thinker. Positive thinking by and large is BS. Um, but if you don't take any time to reflect on your victories, you could easily go weeks and weeks, months and months, years and years and think, wow, I haven't done anything. When really, if you do a conscious process of thinking of gratitude, which is really what Small Victory Monday is for our alumni, our program grads, then you will actually see that, oh, you know what? If I have to think of a victory on Monday, I can find one. Otherwise, you never will bring this up consciously. Like you might not be thinking, oh yeah, I actually finally cleaned out the whole garage and I stopped procrastinating or I made a choice to not eat a disgustingly fattening meal and cooked something healthy instead. Or I finally hired a personal trainer after all these months of talking a bunch of smack about how I was going to do it. Those are victories, but you, you'd probably would never even think about that, but we kind of make you do it on small victory Monday. Fascinating. I think as humans, we tend to have a, a tendency to focus on the negative or um, to focus on danger or fear because we want to keep ourselves safe. I think. Maybe, maybe that's our, our natural tendency. And, and yeah. actually... You know, you fear rejection or whatever, and it's natural. But the, the thing is, if you don't take any risks, you will not see any rewards, and that's just the way it is. Awesome. So I want to shift gears a little bit here. I want to talk about a little bit about your business. Um, you just mentioned taking risks. It took you a full 18 months of podcasting with The Art of Charm before you made your first dollar. Can you go back to those first 18 months and tell me what those were like? Uh, yeah, let's see. Because you, you went from $150,000 lawyer salary to, um, I think, $24,000 a year. Or uh, I read in a Forbes article that it took you 18 months before the first dollar came in. Can you take me back to that, that moment? Uh, yeah. Okay. So... We didn't make any money for a long time because we were completely incompetent. Um, we, we, well, actually, we made money. It just wasn't enough to run the business. Um, but I think maybe what you're asking is 
when we first started the show, but we never intended to make money doing the podcast. So it wasn't really a big deal for us. You know, we never really thought we would make money. So the fact that we weren't making money was not disheartening. It was kind of like being like sitting, it was like sitting around playing video. This is what we were doing, but it'd be like, if you were sitting around playing video games as a hobby and you're like, man, why aren't we getting paid, man? We're supposed to get paid. You'd never even expect that. Therefore, it wouldn't bother you that you were not getting paid. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Makes sense. So it, it didn't bother us. Like we weren't like, oh my god, we're screwed. It was like, yeah, this is a hobby. It's not supposed to be revenue generating. So you weren't really focused on it in the beginning. No, not at all. It started as a hobby and turned into a business. How did you guys uh, make that transition into turning this into a business into a revenue generating model? Because you're obviously. Um, you're working. You're you're doing something that you enjoy a lot more than when you're practicing law. You're making more money and you're working less. Um, what what was the process in getting to that point? Uh, well, to to quitting the job on Wall Street. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the market started to turn down. I didn't have any work, and I found myself showing up to the office and just spending to my law office and just working on Art of Charm. Only it was really inconvenient because my team was back at headquarters. And I would show up and put in a ton of FaceTime, which is a huge waste of time. You know, FaceTime being you sit in your office and surf blogs, hoping that, you know, the boss is going to roll by and see that you're still there so that you look good. And, you know, from there, I was like, this is dumb. And this is what people do all the time, every day for their whole career. This is stupid and a waste of time. So eventually I just stopped showing up to the office, which was totally fine because they actually said, like, you know, you don't even have to worry about it. And, um, that at that point they were like, after a while they were like, Hey, um, you know, the economy's down. You guys might want to look for other jobs or your careers are going to stall. And I was like, you know what? I can either look for another job that I don't want, or I can simply dive into art of charm and try to make that profitable and do it. Jordan, I want to take a moment and, uh, dive into, uh, we were, talking before this call where you talked about goals, uh, goal setting, and um, you had some interesting thoughts to share about that. Can you tell me about that? Uh, with goal setting? Yeah. So you said that yeah, um, we're, they, like, we're talking before. about yeah. Yeah, visualization and why you think that long-term goals one year are why they suck. Uh, maybe you can go into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, actually, I definitely, you know, I just did a show recently with Shaleen Johnson and I've done many shows on visualization and goal setting and things like that. And what we found that most people real they visualize their goals, but really they're just daydreaming. Like they're not visualizing the obstacles. They're visualizing the results of the goal. So they'll visualize instead of visualizing starting a company, working really hard, running into a problem, hiring somebody, trying to figure out who they're going to find in the network. They're visualizing a successful company giving a really great speech with a standing ovation, a private jet, a vacation on the beach. Like that's what they're visualizing. They're daydreaming. They're not actually visualizing. They're not strategizing how to get over obstacles. They're not planning ahead for uh, an inconsistency or, or some sort of hurdle that they need to overcome. And that's a huge problem because that's called daydreaming. It's not really visual. It's visualization, I guess, technically, but it's not beneficial in any way. In fact, it's mostly a waste of time. So uh, what we recommend is to visualize the obstacles, visualize the hurdles, and use that as an opportunity to sort of lucid dream your way through them, if I can, if I can call it that. Uh, further, goal setting, what we were talking about before the show, just before we wrap here, 
is that a lot of people that are like, what are your five-year goals? That's ridiculous. That's completely ineffective. High performers that do well do not do this. Uh, when people ask me what my five-year goal is, I the only thing I can put down is like kids, question mark. I mean, that's all I got. Any, to even waste your time doing anything else is also just mostly just daydreaming. Um, you can say 80 million in revenue. Well, what happens if you hit 100? Well, your goal was too small and it didn't really help you. Um, what happens if you hit 20 million? Uh, well, your goal was too high and now you failed. I mean, it's completely unrealistic. 90 days is kind of where the human mind uh, kind of can't really, there's no horizon beyond that uh, for most people. So if you focus on 90-day goals and you focus on short steps like that, you can achieve those, and they work in your overall vision. Anything over 90 days should be considered vision. I'm not saying don't have any goals long-term or any long-term plans. What I'm saying is that's vision. Don't do these, people do these like smart goals. It's not very smart. You're writing stuff down that's maybe gonna happen in five years. You're gonna lose those goals before you even get to that point. And everything you talked about then is gonna be totally irrelevant by that point if you're doing things correctly anyway. If you happen to set a five-year goal and achieve just that, it's probably a fucking coincidence. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I said it. <laughs> uh, it's probably a freaking coincidence. And so there's no real reason to do that. You can have a vision. I want Art of Charm to have a million people on the email list and a million downloads for every episode. That's a, that's a cool vision, but it's not really a goal. There's no reason for me to have a goal that far out. Yeah, I feel like if a goal is, is set beyond that 90-day period, it's it's very abstract. It's like, uh, I want to be financially independent. or Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's some yeah. fluffy crap that you wrote <laughs> in your self-help seminar that you went to last weekend. And just, just sitting around and visualizing it, thinking about it all day long is not going to do anything. You actually have to go out and take some kind of action. Right, exactly. And a lot of people love to do this. And that's why that's why really hokey self-help seminars do a lot of this. They do a lot of long-term goals because it gets people really excited. Financial independence. Visualize that property on the beach that you want. What's it going to be like when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so happy and warm and in the sun. You leave and you're like, that seminar was awesome, but really it was a circle jerk. And they, they don't take any action from that seminar. They take a bunch of notes and then they go back to their normal lives. I've, I've actually been to a couple of seminars, one in uh, the Staples Center where I saw Tony Robbins where he, he comes out on the stage and he's dancing and – and he's getting everybody to hug each other. And he's like, if you want to feel this great all the time, you know, the first 100 people that go to the back of the room uh, get a discount on my book, you know. And I mean, that's insane. That's literally <laughs> the most ridiculous thing I've heard in a long time. And, and I, I hate it because he, he's such a smart guy and a great thinker. But, like, you, I mean, that's, that shit sells. You know, getting people to buy stuff is, for most people who are highly suggestible, as easy as just getting them worked up. It's really pathetic in a lot of ways. Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people who's like in the moment really psyched about something and then Tony Robbins' book is on the shelf collecting dust. It's, it's not worth it. 90-day goals. Even if your 90-day goal is something really small to get your feet wet, do that. And you don't have to write it down. It doesn't have to be specific and measurable. I mean, that stuff helps, but it doesn't have to be that way. You'll figure that out if you're the type of person that needs goals to achieve. I mean, there's a lot of science behind like writing down goals helps you achieve them more. That's for sure true because most people have no goals. They're not moving towards anything. But some people can do that. I'm one of those people. I do that all the time. 
I, I have metrics to track my progress so I know I'm going in the right direction. I have estimates that are approximate goals, but I'm not attached to them. I don't feel like I failed if I come in $1 under a million at the end of the month. It doesn't bother me. Jordan, can I ask you something? You seem very confident in yourself now. Was it always this way? No way, man. I was a really shy, nerdy guy, and in part because I just wanted everybody to like me. And, you know, I, I, all these things I'm speaking about, I speak from experience. That's why, well, I shouldn't say always. I generally speak from experience only. And a lot of it might be observation, but generally it's experience only. And the reason, that's the reason why, like, some people write in and go, how come you don't teach women, you know, dating stuff? Or how come, you know, you don't teach uh, gay guys dating stuff? And it's like, I don't have, as far as you know, experience with either of those things, right? So I can't do it in good faith, in good conscience. I can't. There's a lot of people that will, that'll be like, you know, you just need to put yourself out there. You don't know that. You have no idea. You are not in this person's shoes. You never have been. You know, it's like there's a lot of guys out there that that purport to be like dating coach for women. And it's like, what do you know about it? You've never been a woman. You've theoretically never been a woman dating. You really don't know. You see data and you interpret it in a certain way. And you might even teach clients something. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But you don't really know, right? You, you have a certain degree of certainty. And that's not to say that nobody who's had an experience or somebody who hasn't had an experience can't possibly teach you anything. It's just that that's never going to be something that's truly like a core competency. And that's a big problem. And that's why there's so many people out there who are like, I'm going to teach you. That's why I have a huge problem with stuff like this. I'm going to teach you how to get rich investing in real estate. Awesome. So you invest in real estate? Well, sometimes, but mostly I just teach other people how to invest in real estate. So let me get this straight. (laughs) You don't invest in real estate. You teach other people how to invest in real estate, and that's how you make your money. Well, if you're so good at it, why do you teach other people and not invest in real estate? Well, I want to share the wealth. I want other people to get rich like me. No, you freaking don't. Why would you care? And some people are like, oh, well, some people care more about others, and they're more altruistic. Bull friggin' crap. They're doing this because they don't have the ability to do the other way. It's just how it is. They teach seminars because they're good at selling crap at seminars. If they were really good at real estate investing, they would do that and they would hire someone else to teach the seminar. They would write a book and forget about it. The knowledge would be out there. They're not not really interested in helping anyone succeed. They're they're interested in in making themselves rich by teaching other people how to get rich. So there's there's definitely a lack of authenticity there. Yeah, and, and I have any time anybody teaches other people how to make money and that's how they're making their money, I always call BS because it's, it's basically multi-level marketing. I teach you how to earn money online. Really? How did you, do you make a lot of money online? Yeah, great. What niche? Make money online niche? Wait, wait, that's too meta for me. You make money online teaching other people how to make money online? I'm not so sure that's legit. Great stuff. I think that's true of any business. You really have to also be authentic. Uh, whenever you give out advice as well, you should have experience doing that, what you're teaching. Um, I, know, I know you're running short on time here, so I just wanted to ask you, uh, I had one other question. Uh, you've recently been taking groups of students to North Korea. Uh, can you tell me about that and why, why have you been doing that? I'm just curious. I like to do things that other people don't slash can't slash haven't done. North Korea was always interesting for me because it's crazy town. And I wanted to go there. They opened it up to Americans. I went there. I talked about it on my show. I brought another group of people, talked about that on my show, brought another group of people, brought another group of people. 
Um, right now, the whole country is actually closed for Ebola. Um, they don't have Ebola, but they could never contain it if they got it, especially because they don't allow aid workers in the country. So things are on hold, but I definitely plan on going back another time, uh, probably doing a cycling tour of the country uh, and checking that whole thing out. So it's interesting. You know, there's nothing like it in the world. It's a relic. It hasn't evolved much in 50 years. There's not much, there's not money, excuse me, there's not a whole lot of places anywhere in the world that you can say that. Cuba, kind of the same, but it lacks all of the weirdness of the Stalinist regime that is in North Korea and has a lot of the communist crumb that is still there. So I find Cuba to be sort of like a less interesting North Korea in a lot of ways. Um, and I've been to both, but I think North Korea just takes the cake. It's like another planet. So bizarre. So, so part of my assumption here, but the takeaway you get from this, uh, bizarre experience is that you want to change up your paradigm a little bit and kind of get a new perspective on life. Is that what you say? (laughs) I mean, that might be putting a little bit of a dramatic spin on it. I just like to see stuff that other people haven't seen. Um, you know, get a story out of it, uh, see things that won't exist for very long, hopefully, et cetera, you know, things like that. I mean, looking at a country that isolates itself from everybody, does not have Facebook, does not have internet, does not have television or radio, you see humans in a vacuum. You can't see that anywhere in the planet. Like, there are no, there's no other place in the world that has none of that. Even people in Eritrea, which is a theoretically more oppressive regime than North Korea, they still have internet. They just can't do anything with the information. I see. So you're, you're kind of a, a student of humanity, and you, you find it interesting to uh, study humans in a vacuum, as you said. Yeah, because yeah. you can see how a country would evolve under a totally different mindset, totally different paradigm, without any influence from other, well, one, you know, 99% less influence from other countries, other, other cultures. I mean, it's just completely absent. Can, the last can, you, can you give me one? Pan. Yeah, can you give me one example of how people are different from what you've seen in your trip? Yeah. Um, so first of all, they think internet is bad for you, which they may have, they may be onto something. Um, they, they disagree with all of the policies of countries like the United States. They don't see benefits to Western culture. Um, they don't see benefits by and large to, traveling around and getting to know other people they they see i mean it's just so hard to explain but you're you're talking about a group of people that like maybe have never left their hometown and never will and don't think it's weird um you're talking about people who only have one channel on their television and it's from the government and that's the only source of input that they ever had ever and they don't think it's weird uh you're talking about you know people that have been taught something that is totally untrue their whole life, and they believe it because it's the only input they've ever had. Americans are always getting input from all different sources. We have tons of different diverse views. Everybody in North Korea thinks pretty much exactly the same way. There's no place in the world where everybody friggin' agrees on 99% of everything. That's fascinating. So you've really been studying those, those different cultural differences and how uh, they affect our perception and uh, how we view the world. That's, that's really fascinating stuff. Uh, yeah. Jordan, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I know we're running late on this interview. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, happy birthday, by the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jordan. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Danny. Likewise.